0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: I'm Jyothi Gupta, and this is The Pulse. For many software developers, there is considerable mystique around disability issues. While developers don't set out to exclude people with disabilities intentionally, most do not even realize that some of the end users of their products may not see the screen or use a mouse. Similarly, there are people with disabilities who don't feel entirely comfortable using online platforms and software, owing to a lack of digital access. But there is scope for growth and dialogue, as accessibility and technological design function as a universal and public good. Technology influences every aspect of our lives, so there is a critical need to make technology accessible – inclusive, and user-friendly. Today, we discuss Global Accessibility Awareness Day. It's time to put your finger on The Pulse. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joyita Gupta. I'm the host of the program, and it's great to have you with us today. I just want to remind you that this show, along with the remainder of our live programming, is all being hosted and produced from our home studios. For more information about COVID-19 and a collection of all of our live segments from The Pulse, from Kelly and Company, and from Now with Dave Brown, please visit AMI.ca forward slash COVID-19. We're talking about Global Accessibility Awareness Day. We'll be finding out in just a few minutes what it is and what it stands for. My guest today is Jennison Asuncion, the Head of Accessibility Engineering Evangelism at LinkedIn and co-founder of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which takes place on the third Thursday of May. This year marks the ninth annual Awareness Day, and Jennison joins us now on the line from Silicon Valley in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hello and welcome to The Pulse. It's great to have you on the program.
0: Thank you for having me. And if I may add to your introduction of me, I'm also a proud Canadian.
1: Ah, that is uh,
0: very important. Here, I moved here from Toronto. Yes, indeed. And, and in left, fact, Toronto. left
1: Toronto.
0: Yes. And, and in fact, uh, the other co-founder of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Joe Devin, uh, is actually uh, born Canadian as well. So you have two Canadians who co-founded Global Accessibility Awareness Day.
1: Making waves, my friends, making waves. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about global accessibility awareness. Sure. Day. What is it?
0: H- happy to. So, the the premise of the day is dedicate. Let's dedicate this one day, which is the third Thursday of May, to think about, to talk about, uh, to experience digital access and inclusion. Um, for, for most of your audience it 's probably like a given that uh, i, I 'm a native screen reader user, so we you know most of us are using and living in that world. Uh, however, as you mentioned, the software developers and designers uh, and, and people designing games and all that kind of stuff in the main, they typically don 't think of people with disabilities and impairments, so they, we wanted to have this day. Um, to really focus on this. And really the target audience are people who don't necessarily know much about, if anything at all, about different uh, disabilities or impairments, and what is a screen reader? I mean, I I know for, again, for us it it probably might sound funny, but there are people out there who actually still don't know that people who are blind use computers or mobile phones. And so again, yeah, so, so Joe Devin actually wrote a blog post in 2011, in November of 2011, bemoaning the fact that, that, you know, software developers, web developers, didn't know anything about accessibility, but needed to. And he suggested that there needed to be a day, and he, he suggested a global accessibility day for this. He published the blog post. I didn't know who he was. I was living back in Toronto at the time. This was a Saturday in November, of 2011, and just by happenstance, I was at home. I saw a tweet uh, that was he put out, and it just looked interesting. I, I activated the link on the tweet, read his blog post, uh, him him talking about wanting a day for uh, awareness on accessibility. I responded to him, and as they say, the rest is history. <laughs>
1: and in the in the scope of the of the nine years that this has been ongoing, what kind of growth have you seen? Has it in fact become oh a truly global event?
0: It absolutely has uh, and this is totally uh, Joe and I still pinch ourselves uh, being so amazed how this picked up because we, we we didn't even know in the first year like how this would be accepted or anything like that, and we just literally chose a random date in May. I believe it was May 9th at the time, um, for the first year. And then we discovered that that was bumping up against public holidays in Europe. So then we moved it until we decided, let's just, instead of choosing an actual date, let's just say it's going to be the third Thursday of May. Um, But yes, we've certainly, we've seen it grow in a number of ways. First, in the number of events. Now, I'm going to speak pre-pandemic. We used to have a lot of uh, in-person events on the actual day of GAD and I think last year we had over 80 events uh, around the world. Uh, The other thing that we've been noticing is um, accessibility and global is more than just English. Uh, So we have been seeing an increase in uh, events happening in Spanish, in French, in other uh, languages. Uh, This year for example we're having our first event in Indonesia. So we're seeing those things. We're seeing uh, a, a, an uptick in uh, the interest in the gaming industry around Global Accessibility Awareness Day. So there's a lot of activity and conversation happening around people with disabilities and gaming, as well as education, e-learning, and and different uh, technologies used in education. So from our from our humble beginnings in 2012, where we had I think like 11 events. Uh, we went up to 80 events last year. This year's a little different, obviously, with, with uh, our realities. A lot of virtual events. But what's nice about that is people who, aren't, who may not have been possible for them to attend an in-person event just because they had to work or uh, the timing was off or whatnot, everything is now online. So if people go to globalaccessibilityawarenessday.org and check the events uh, page, you can see all of the virtual events that are out there now.
1: But, Janice, it's fair to say that we don't just want this to be an issue that people focus on one day out of the year. So to oh, what absolutely. extent have you felt that uh, this concept of universal design and inclusivity and accessibility has permeated the zeitgeist or has really uh, become a part of the consciousness of developers and software engineers? Sure. I think I think in the last...
0: I would say more so in the last three, four, five years, um, that has been more the case, um, certainly in terms of inclusive design uh, and designers. Um, well, one thing to point out is, of course, Toronto is home of uh, uh, the Institute of um, at uh, OCAD University. They've got a master's in inclusive design. So inclusive design as a discipline is now being taught, uh, which is great. Uh, There's much more um, opportunities for engineering students to learn about accessibility uh, in colleges and universities. We need a lot more of that, but that's becoming a lot more of a topic of interest. So I would say absolutely. Uh, At at companies uh, that, that are making a commitment to accessibility, there's an understanding that this has to be, you know, accessibility has to start in the design phase. And so absolutely a lot more discussions. We're seeing a lot more of the design community uh, getting involved and, 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 and understanding their role in making things accessible. Because once they, you know, if a designer makes their part of the puzzle accessible, when they hand it over to the engineer, it's just that much easier for the engineer to know what to do to make things accessible as well. So I would say to get back to your original question around it, do I do I see this as a, as growing in, in in knowledge and such absolutely
1: I'm speaking to Jennison Ascension who is the co-founder of the Global Accessibility Awareness Day Jennison, I was going to not talk about the pandemic, and yet here we are. I I just want to briefly touch on it because so many of us with or without disabilities are now relying on the Internet to do such essential things as grocery shopping, to do our jobs from home, or even to go Mm -hmm. to school. So with that context, is there an argument to be made for universal design and access in technological design, actually being um, less of a speciality issue and more of a public good.
0: Absolutely. Well, when you think about it, everyone is now working from home, mm-hmm. and we are seeing the benefits of, of that for for, for everyone. Um, and so, when we th- when we think about uni- like universal um, design and 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 everything technology for good. We're we're seeing this in action now. The the benefits of working from home now. There's obviously uh, uh, things that negative impacts that that people could argue uh, in our current situation because frankly, not everyone um, is comfortable interacting in this land of you know pick your pick your brand of um, virtual meeting tools. Right, they're all out there. Um, not every you know not everyone is wired to use that technology. However. For those that, that are, I mean, people are thriving working from home. And, and so there's definitely we're, – we're proving uh, how, um, how useful technology can be, uh, you know, that with, through the Internet and everything. We can connect to our colleagues. We can do our shopping and, and all those things. The key to your point is all of that stuff needs to be accessible and I mean you brought up some very specific areas but I'm also thinking about just from a from a current situation perspective like even pandemic related information and the forms needed to fill out um, for government subsidy programs let's hope that those are also all accessible right
1: and let's say that someone were to say to you jenison we understand what you're saying in theory but what's the harm in designing a piece of software or a website and then going back to it afterwards to make it accessible? I mean, doesn't it all come to the same? Is there an argument for why building inclusivity into the design from the ground up, designing something that way is actually maybe more cost effective and beneficial absolutely, than yeah. trying to well, retrofit you don't, something? You,
0: yeah, well, yeah, well, absolutely, because, I mean, it's proven time and time again that if, if you go ahead and... Make accessibility an afterthought. You're gonna. It's gonna be so much more expensive. A not only to retrofit and because first you have to go back and figure out where the accessibility gaps are, and then you have to fix them. But there might be some fundamental design uh, uh, things that need to be changed uh, before you can even change the code. So absolutely, if you if you uh, think about accessibility and not only think about it. Because thinking is just thinking. If you actually implement accessibility from the beginning, you launch with the product fully inclusive for everyone. Th- then you don't even have to worry and even consider having to think about that extra cost afterwards. It's all there. It's, you're launching it at the same time. The other thing is, by by not by waiting to the end, essentially what you're doing is you're excluding folks with disabilities. You're saying, hey, you know, people with disabilities. That's just let's let everyone else start first and we'll get to you after. So you're holding back productivity and you're holding back inclusivity by waiting till, this, waiting till uh, things have, are completed and launched.
1: We sure. agree, I think, that it might, be more, it, it might be far more prudent to build accessibility into a piece of technology or software from the ground up rather than trying to retrofit it. But let me pose a question to you about Apple which has really been a bit of a pathbreaker in terms of accessibility, uh, with out-of-the-box accessibility. And yet, if you were to purchase their latest smartphone, that would be $1,000. And yet, a cheaper phone may not be as accessible. So are people with disabilities, in fact, having to pay an additional cost for out-of-the-box accessibility?
0: So I would say um, to that, that Android phones... Uh, today's Android phones have uh, absolutely improved, um, now I'm not an Android user myself, I'm just going to uh, be uh, clear about that, but uh, I, I would say that uh, Android, uh, the screen reader talkback is certainly, uh, has, has, has improved. I've, I'm hearing a lot of things from the, from the community of folks who are blind um, that that's there. Android Android has the same um, parity when it comes to the types of uh, other assistive te- uh, technologies, hardware and soft uh, excuse me software that's available that would be on Apple. So I would say today, if you would if you and I would have had this conversation maybe five years ago, I would agree with you um, that there is an extra cost. But I think now what there is is choice. So I think someone could choose. Uh, if, if price was an issue, they could uh, use an Android phone and have a similar um, experience uh, from the perspective of having ex- uh, assistive uh, software available to them. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, th- that's exactly why I asked because you know I'm quite a, I have a certain amount of brand loyalty when it comes to Apple, and I, I like to joke that you'd have to pry my iPhone from my cold ed- dead hands. But <laughs> yeah. the, the price tag is a factor, and I'm very happy mm, to hear absolutely. that there's some choice. You know, uh, the other part of this conversation around accessibility is we often spend time talking about how once we make things accessible digitally, it would mean better integration for people with disabilities in education or employment, just to name a few things. But I wonder, Jennison, if you also noticed a greater degree of online community for people with disabilities, I just thinking about myself, you know, I've joined so many Facebook groups uh, that are tailored for people who are visually impaired. And that's only ever made possible when those platforms and forums are accessible.
0: Right. No, absolutely. I I, I have seen uh, similar to what you're saying, like as, as these social media platforms have been made more accessible, uh, that has increased uh that level of community. But it's beyond the social media platforms. I want to go back, if I could, to gaming uh, because that's become a a big social uh, way of socializing as well. And and gaming companies have become uh, a lot more hip to uh, understanding why they should make their games accessible. So that's another example where, from a socializing perspective, um, we're seeing benefits uh, for once we make those accessible, we're we're going beyond like e-commerce websites. You know, it's obviously it's important to make those things accessible. But people with disabilities, they want to be social, right? They, they there's a life mm. outside of just filing an expense report or banking or um, things like that. Um, we, wanna, we, wanna, uh, play games. Uh, we want to we want to play games. We want to use the same. We want to look at YouTube. We want uh, to watch a movie on Netflix. So it's it's absolutely gone uh, beyond um, the professional stuff. But accessibility, in, in order for us uh, to feel really part of society, uh, why why shouldn't we have access to all the other uh, all the other pursuits uh, that are that are out there?
1: And yet here we are. We're almost limiting ourselves to having a conversation uh, about people with disabilities as the end user or even as beta testers. But what about flipping that script around a little bit and talking about creating space so that people with disabilities can be the creators of tech and one would hope that that technology by definition would be accessible.
0: Right. And that, yes. And that's one of the areas that's, 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 uh, being, uh, that's getting more in focus that the actual, like, as you said, the creation tools themselves need to be accessible because people with disabilities need to be part of the conversation. I, I, I have... You know, on on Twitter and elsewhere, been passionate about uh, the fact that when there are conversations about diversity in tech, they typically still do not include people with disabilities in those conversations. Uh, That, despite the fact that there are over a billion of us around the world that have disabilities or impairments, right? Including people, obviously, who are blind or visually impaired. Um, but yes, absolutely there, there needs to be a lot more focus, and I think that 's where the next frontier is is making sure those uh, tools uh, that create the content that create the the uh, applications that create the games those 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 programming tools or or content uh, authoring tools they absolutely need to be. Uh, built to be accessible. And there is still a lot of work that needs to be done on that end.
1: Let me ask you then, to what extent is technological inclusivity or inclusive design and technology linked to social inclusion of people with disabilities?
0: I, I, think, I think one allows the other. So as we create inclusive technology through inclusive design and, and, and all of that goodness, and so as we have more technology that's built inclusive from the beginning, we then make it open and we, we make it a, a possible for people with disabilities to use that technology, the same technology as their non-disabled peers. And thus, we then, we then create that inclusiveness and, and that, that kind of level playing field. Uh, but what I, will, uh, what I do want to say also, though, is... There is absolutely a difference between, a piece of technology can be accessible, but is it usable is a different question. So Mm -hmm. this sweet spot is something that's not only accessible, but it's usable by people with disabilities as well. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's kind of folded into this whole concept of inclusive design and inclusivity, but I just wanted to call out the fact that, you know, it's not good enough to just say, oh, that thing is, we we built it to be accessible. No, it has to be accessible and usable.
1: The voice that you're listening to is Jenison Assuntion, who is the head of accessibility engineering evangelism at LinkedIn, and also one of the co-founders of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is celebrated on the third Thursday of the month of May. So, Jennison, I know you're very passionate about technology and the benefits that it brings to the lives of people with disabilities. But I'm just curious, are there limits to what you can accomplish with technology?
0: Sure. I I, want to talk very specifically about uh, Braille and screen readers and the fact that um, some people learn best uh, if they have, have, uh, for example, Braille diagrams in front of them that they can touch tactile things. Um, not everyone can just listen to alternative text on an image and get the same um, level of comprehension or understanding of what that is. And I'm thinking particularly in the context of, say, a, 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 a physics class. So what, why I'm bringing that up is there's an example where technology isn't always the answer. Um, sure. You could, have, uh, you could have all the content uh, provided online, and uh, if you have a screen reader, that's great. But I have to tell you, if I were back in school today and I didn't have access to uh, diagrams in Braille, um, right now I don't think that there's a way for you to do a raised line diagram uh, on, uh, on, a, on a piece of technology the way you can do it on a piece of paper. Um, so, that's an example of where there are limits to where technology can come in. I also remember the days when I, had, I, I took different languages, like I, I took French, and part of the way that you were uh, evaluated in French classes was your ability to read out loud. So if I don't have a braille display in front of me or braille in front of me and I just have a screen reader as an example. That's not the same thing, um, what would I do? Just repeat what the screen reader is saying to me through uh, through my earpiece. No, I would need to be able to read uh, literally read that text in order to be able to prove that competence um, it's just not the same thing so there are to me there are absolutely limits it's like everything else um, not every we're, we're learning even even in this pandemic situation uh, sure we can have meetings over zoom or uh, uh, or Skype, or you know any number of tools out there, but it's just not the same. You know, you need to sometimes, like sometimes, you do need that face to face. Even even if you can't see, you can feel the room, and that's very different online versus in in a, in an office uh, or in a room. So I definitely think there's a place for technology, and there's definitely positives to it, but. To say that technology is going to be the answer for everything, Uh, absolutely not.
1: I think I have time for one last question, and I've always wanted to ask somebody this. I have an iPhone, as I told you, you would have to pry it from my cold, dead hands, but I also have an Amazon Kindle, uh, and because I work in an office, I use PCs a lot. So that's three different operating systems, three different environments, and three different assistive softwares, each with their own gestures. Is it something that I just have to put up with, or is there a need to develop something akin to, we've talked about universal design, but let's talk about Mm. universal standards so that we can standardize these gestures and features across different devices just to make life a little bit easier.
0: I know that there is some work going on, and I'm not close enough to it to be intelligent around it, but the concept of personalization. And so uh, whatever technology you're using, you could personalize it based on your own user preferences, how you want things done. So I don't think it's a far stretch to think that at some point, I I can't tell you when, but that you could say, you know, my preferred gestures or my preferred ways of interacting with any technology is this way. And then so when you're approaching a new piece of technology, um, you know, in theory, that new piece of technology would, uh, kind of, consume your personal preferences, and then things would be a lot more uh, well personalized and to the way that you want it. So I don't know where things are in that world today, but I absolutely know that 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 whole body of work around personalization is happening. Um, and one, uh, and I'm, to be totally honest with you, one good place to, to check in about that is, is the Inclusive Design Research Center at OCAD University in Toronto. They're really involved a lot in that uh, whole uh, area of personalization and preferences, mm-hmm. user preferences.
1: Another new frontier. Maybe we'll talk about it next year when you have uh, GAD <laughs> celebrating its big 10th anniversary. We'll ha- anniversary. We hope to have you back then.
0: Well, thank you very much for your interest. And everyone, uh, for more information, please check out... Uh, www.globalaccessibilityawarenessday.org
1: well, Thank you very much for spending a few minutes with us today. That was Thanks. Jenison Ascension, the Head of Accessibility Engineering Evangelism at LinkedIn and co-founder of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which takes place on the third Thursday of May. This year marks the 9th Annual Awareness Day, and Janison joined us from Silicon Valley in the San Francisco Bay Area. I hope you'll check out our conversation uh, today on the program on your favorite podcast platforms. You can also find previous episodes of The Pulse there. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. I just want to talk about how we have so many exciting developments in the world, world of technology, whether it's creating space for creators with disabilities to create tech of their own, or even to personalize existing technology that's that Jenison talked about, which I hadn't even thought about. The possibilities are endless. And I think we have to recognize that technology is a tool. It alone does not carry any moral brief. But certainly during these times of uncertainty, during the pandemic, there's an increasingly urgent argument being made to ensure that pub- that technology is made accessible, available, and is fully inclusive I want to remind you that you can also head on over to the show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'm sure I'll have more to say on that in that space. I'd like to thank Jennison Asuncion for being my guest on the program today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanrold. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is our manager of AMI-audio. With special thanks to Paula Denine, who is our technical supervisor. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us a tweet at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag Pulse AMI. Or you're welcome to send us an email, feedback, at AMI.ca. Thanks a lot for tuning into the program. This has been The Pulse on AMI Audio, and we'll talk to you again very soon. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramiya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.